0: Hey man. Hey, what's up? Hey, after we take your car to the body shop, I yeah. think we should. I think we should hang out, man. Why would we do that? For community? Okay, I think I can try the community thing out. Maybe, yeah. Okay. What you listening to back there? Starry night. Nice. Oh, cool. Oh, guys, this day just keeps getting worse. What's wrong? My my growth light just turned on. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with this car. You know, today I woke up this morning. I said it was gonna be a good day. I had a nice shirt on. First, the community light—you fixed it—and then the worship light, and she fixed it. Like, how do you think, how are we gonna fix the growth light? That's a good question. Wait, I mean, you have any ideas? Maybe we should read the manual Come together. On, man. That's a stupid idea. Hey, it's out i to mechanic and my growth like this came on. And this guy suggested to read the manual. Do you have any other ideas? I mean, my suggestion would be to read the manual. That's really? what I do. Whenever I need help, I just go back to the source, you know? Okay. Do you think you can help me read it? Yeah, sure, let me get it. Okay, come in. Hey, guys. She's going to help us out and try to figure out why the growth light turned on while we're on the way to the mechanic. These are my friends Community and uh, Worship. Hi, nice to, to meet I'm you. Nice yeah. to meet you. Let's go. Wait, hey, can I take a look at that manual? Sure. See, I suggested we look at the manual. Yeah, 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 Community, you're full of good ideas. All right. There's some really good stuff in here, guys. Really? Wait a second. My growth light turned off right when you opened the book. Look at that. That's wow. So, that's a coincidence. Yeah. Hey, do you think you can keep coming with us to the body shop, you know, just to make sure everything's okay? Sure. All right. Thank you.
1: Hi. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Well at STSA. We're so happy that you're joining us here. If you're just kind of tuning in today, we're in part four of a series that we started called The Body Shop, where as you see every week, we get the chance to see with our friends here on the video, we're trying to see what it means to be a healthy and fully functioning member of the body of Christ. So we're here in this body shop, so to speak, and every week we're finding out a different principle of what it means to be healthy as a member of the body of Christ. In the first week, we saw that God did not create us to live isolated lives. God created us to live together kind of lives and to share life. And we talked about the importance of opening up and sharing my life with others and giving others a chance and by me investing in others and me sharing in their lives as well. And we call that community or fellowship. Last week, we talked about the second characteristic of a healthy member of the body, which is worship. That we are not just meant to come together and socialize and invest in each other in an earthly sense, but in a prayer sense. And the strongest forms of prayer are those which are done in community or together. When we stand before God together, and we saw last week that great promise where our Lord Jesus Christ told us that we're two or three gathered in my name, I will be there in their midst. Because he wants us to live together and to pray together, and what we're going to see today is the third characteristic of a healthy member of the body, which is that we are meant to grow together. And I want to show you today how you, apart from the body, cannot grow to be all that God made you to be. And that's why this particular of the of this particular characteristic, all right, of the five characteristics characteristics that we're looking at this is the one that we probably value the least and appreciate the least but this is the one that i want you to see today that you cannot be who god wants you to be apart from his body which is the church the verse we've been looking at for the past couple weeks is romans chapter 12 verse 5 which says so we being many are one body in christ and individually members of one another I want to make this verse come to life for you. So I want you to re- repeat after me. Like I want to get this really ingrained inside. I want you to say, look to the person next to you and say, you are a member of me. Look to the person next to you. Say, you are a member of me. And say, I'm a member of you. <laughs> say, you are connected to me and I'm connected to you. Now, if you're single, look and say, since we're connected, let's get connected, baby. (laughs) But only if you're single. I'm trying to help you out, okay? We're full service around here. We're spiritual. We're everything around here, okay? (laughs) Bottom line is, God, apart from what I just said, God did not create us to live isolated lives. God created us as a body. And that's why in the Old Testament, when God spoke to the people, he created them in tribes. Not individuals, but in tribes. In the New Testament, he had the apostles. He likes us to be in community. He likes us to be in families. He likes us to have a group of friends that we can be together with. Even, did you know, like if I say we all need community, we all need one another, some people would say, what about the monks? What about the monks? What about the monks? Well, did you know even the monks have community? Because the majority of monks, yes, there is a small percentage which are called hermits, which live by themselves in the caves, but a is .0001% of them. The monks live in community with each other. They gather together, they eat together, they pray together, and then they go off and do their own thing, and then they gather together as well. God created us to be together because we are a body, and the left hand cannot be apart from the right hand. And if, the, if my left hand is over there and my right hand is over there, there's a problem in the body. Do you all agree with that? If my, if my foot is going north and my, my kidney is going south, we got a problem in the body. The body is not functioning properly unless it is together. And like I said, we are made to share life together. We are made to pray together. And today we're going to see how we are made to grow together. And you cannot be who God made you to be apart from the body. Here's our verse that we're going to look at here today. Romans 8:29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many. We're going to try to unpack this verse. This verse says, some people ask, do we believe in predestination, predestination, predestination? Well, in the sense that this verse talks about predestination in the sense that we were all predestined, to be conformed to his image. Yes, we believe in that 100% because that's what the scripture says. But no, we don't believe that predestination negates our free will because we believe that this image of his son is the goal and is the destiny that everyone God wants everyone to get to. But we believe we spend our whole lives trying to get there and many people may not even realize it. Many people may fall short. This is the journey of a lifetime that he would be the firstborn. This expression, firstborn, means literally that he is the prototype of humanity, meaning Christ. Christ is the prototype of humanity. So our goal (coughs) from the very, very start is that I would think as Christ thinks, mind of Christ. I would speak as Christ spoke, words of Christ. I would deal with my mom the way Christ dealt with his mom. I would deal with my friends the way Christ dealt with his friends. I would deal with my enemies the way Christ dealt with his enemies. I would deal with a random stranger in the street the same way Jesus would deal with a random stranger in the street. As the whole, what would Jesus do thing? That whole concept, that's the goal of our life, is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn or the prototype of humanity. You see, all of us, all of us, as members of God's family, that is something to be celebrated. It is absolutely something we should clap and we should hoot and holler when new members join the family of God. That's a great day. But if that's all there is, what are we really celebrating? The goal in life, just this morning, actually, we had a, a little baby who was baptized this morning and we clapped and that's a little James name. and We were so happy. He's a little baby, a little guy like that. But today, we're not clapping because he reached the destination. We're clapping because he reached the starting line and he's in the race. You have a child as a parent, and that child, one year old, and is pooping in his pants and he's spitting up all over the place, and it's cute. Somehow, it's cute when a kid, one year old, spit up on himself. But that kid's six, seven, eight years old and spitting up on himself all the time. It's not as cute. He says, Goo Goo Gaga, everyone s- smiles. He's uh, taking his SATs and he's saying, Goo Goo Gaga is all he can say. That's a tragedy. Well, I get disappointed. I get disappointed when I see, I'm generalizing right now, all of us in America today, Christianity in America, the state of Christianity in America. I get very disappointed and very sad when I see that the majority of Christianity in America today, and I'm talking about this church, about Christians all over. We seem to make it like the goal is just to be born. And we seem to think that the goal is just to be born into God's family and that's it. That's why of these five characteristics, see the five characteristics, we talk about community, worship, growth, talk about giving next week, and then we talk about evangelism or witnessing. The majority of us, we cut the middle ones out, and we just focus on the first and the last. Just be born into God's family, and then go tell everyone that you're born into God's family. And then get other people born in the family, and what do they do after they're born in the family? Go tell other people they're born in the family. But there's a lot of stuff in the middle, and that stuff in the middle is what we're supposed to be born into. We're not just born into a family. We're born into a family To pray, to worship God, because that's what we're meant to do as a family. We're born into a family to grow spiritually, to be more mature. Not to be at the same, if I'm in first grade today, I should be in second grade next year, third grade year after that, fourth grade. And if there's a setback, okay, but i got to be moving forward. And how many of us in our spiritual lives, like this, this condemns us all. How many of us are at the same level spiritually as we are today, as we were a year ago, as we were two years ago? What's your plan to be more at another level a year from now? I'm not judging anyone. I'm not saying anyone should feel guilty. But what I'm saying is we have to have an understanding that the goal isn't to be born. The goal is to be mature and grow the same way in our body, same way in our spirit. Look at this verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Peter says, the final verse of his epistle, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are meant to grow, not just to be, but to Grow. And this is the whole point of why Jesus came to earth. He did not just come into earth so that we would be born in God's family. He came, as we so commonly say, he took what is ours so that we could have what is his. He came to us so that we could now grow into him. If he hadn't come, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't have the firstborn. We wouldn't have the prototype. He came as the prototype. And he came and he walked on this earth. And he said, this is what humanity's supposed to look like. This is what Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. This is what the picture was supposed to look like. And we're supposed to spend the rest of our lives trying to get to that point. A famous church theologian, back in the early days of the church, said, Christians are made, not born. And he was talking about like the maturity that was like perfection. All right. The state of perfection or maturity. Christians who are perfect. Okay. That's what we're trying to get to are made, not born. No one is born perfect. No one is born. No one is born a Rhodes scholar or an Ivy leaguer, but they're made through the effort and through the grace of God that helps them on this earth. Driving force of everything we do. This is not the driving force of why you come to church. You come to church for the wrong reason. If this is not why you read the Bible in the morning, you're reading the Bible for the wrong reason. If this is not why you get together in life groups after church is over, you're getting together for the wrong reason. All those things that we do are for the sole purpose of becoming who I was meant to be. And that is Christ. But what does that look like? If that's the goal, to be like Christ, all right, we kind of have an idea of what it looks like, but practically, make it tangible for me. What am I aiming towards? Because we like practical things. One of our core values here at STSA, we have 10 core values. see them out there on the poster. Core value number five, right smack dab in the middle, deals with this issue of spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. And we define here what we believe is the true measure of spiritual growth. We say Christ-like integrity. We believe that our personal integrity is the greatest reflection of our relationship with Christ. We know that true spiritual maturity is measured by obedience, not knowledge. Would y'all agree with that? That we've met many, many people who up here are very, very mature, but in their dealings with one another, in their obedience, not what, not who Christ is. It's not what we know that makes us mature. It's how we obey and how we respond to what we know. So that's why I say, what makes me mature? What am I aiming for? Am I aiming to know the most Bible verses? No. That's a good tool. It's good to know Bible verses, but that's not the goal. Am I aiming to pray longer than anybody else? No, it's not the goal. Am I aiming that I would like serve more than anybody else and that I would give more than anybody else? I'm not aiming for any of those things. I am aiming that we as a church family, that what the defining characteristic of us is, is that we are obedient more than anybody else because it's our obedience to God's commandments that define our maturity. And that obedience is not a one-day thing. See, if I said the goal is give a lot of money, then you know what? You can make it big, give a lot of money, and that's it. You're done. You reach perfection. If I say the goal is to memorize verses in the Bible, you say, I know more verses than anybody else. That's it. I'm done. I'd be a jerk at work. I don't have to do anything else. The goal is obedience to God's commandments, and that's a lifelong process where we have a part in it, but really it's the grace of God working in us through the efforts that we put in. And that's why I want to say this. Christ-like integrity, that level of maturity, how we get there, we need two components to get there. Just like anything else in life. If you wanna be a doctor, a lawyer, you need two components. You need theory and you need practice. You need theory and you need practice. You're gonna be a doctor, you need to read a book, then you need to go follow around another doctor and do what he does. You wanna be a lawyer, you gotta read in a the book, then you gotta go follow around lawyers and sit on those mock trials and sit on the jury and all that stuff and watch a few good men, whatever it may be. That's how you become a lawyer. You want to be mature in Christ. You want to be Christ. You need to read the book. But then you need to practice. And that's why I say this. Here's our key thought for today. God uses community to lead us to maturity. God uses community to lead us to maturity. In other words, the knowledge is good. But the practice is critical, and the practice happens in the context of relationships, day-to-day relationships that you and I go through. God uses my priest to make me more mature. God uses my brother and sister to make me more mature. God uses my boss. Did you know that God will use your boss to make you more mature? God will use a random stranger in the street who just honked at you when he cut you off and gave you a pleasant wave with one of his fingers, He will use that person to make you more mature if you let him. And if you understand what he's trying to do, God uses community to lead us to maturity. And what we're going to see here today is how to open up my life to the rest of the members of the body of Christ and to use them, yes, to use them to make me a better person. And we're going to see how we do that today. First, why I say we need community to reach maturity, I'll give you a couple verses. And I honestly, I struggled. I could have brought 20 verses right here, but I stuck with only two. Hopefully, you'll get the point. First John 3:16. We all know John 3:16 is the most famous verse in Christianity. John 3:16, John 3:16, that He loved us and gave His life for us. Well, first John 3:16 is the flip side of that. It's the other side of the coin, which says not only He loved us, but by this we know His love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I'm telling you, you cannot be spiritually mature unless there is laying down your life for the brethren. So the one who lives an isolated life cannot fulfill this commandment, because he is not laying down his life for his brethren and then he is not Christ-like because the number one Christ-like thing the signature of Christ is that he laid down his life for the brethren another verse John 13 35 Jesus said this he said by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another he didn't say people will know your disciple because you memorize the scriptures he didn't say people know your disciple because you give money in the money box he said you will know people know your disciples by the way you deal with each other When I walk into this life group, I say, hey, these guys are Christians. I walked over here in the corner, people drinking coffee, these people over here, I said, these people are disciples of Jesus. I walked into the break room, and I saw people talking, 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 talking. Then I saw another group walking. I saw these guys walk in the break room, and I said, hey, this group, these are followers of Jesus. Because of the way they interact with each other. Because of the way they obey each other. Or not each other, they obey God. And their interaction with one another. By this, you will know, people know you're my disciples. If you don't have this... You can't be all that God wants you to be. And there's many more verses. verse in the scripture, St. John said, if you say you love God who you cannot see, how can you love God who you cannot see if you do not love man who you do see? I got brought you a hundred verses, but let's just stop with those two. Now, what about the one, those who grew up in the church, you know there's a very, very, very high level of spirituality that we all saw and witnessed among us. And this very pious level of spirituality says, I just go to church and pray and then go home. We all know that, right? We've heard that before. We've all heard that before. We've probably even said that before. We exalt people like that. People who say, I don't come to deal with people. I come to worship God and leave the mess. And before I condemn anyone who said this, all right, I I realize the reason a lot of people say this is because of the church that they were going to. And I hope and pray that no one ever has a reason to say that about our church. But I'm talking in theory right now, so don't take it personal or get offended. We view this as a very high level of spirituality, where I don't believe that's high level of spirituality. I believe that's a cop out. You know why? What am I saying when I say I go to church, pray, I don't deal with people? You know what I'm saying? Saying I don't want to change, I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to have to change anything for the sake of accommodating somebody else. I just want to do my own thing. I'm content to be as is. This person and I rub each other the wrong way. I I don't want to change. I don't want to not be, I want to be selfish. I want to be arrogant. I just want to care about myself. I don't want to have to deal with anybody else. It's an excuse. Oftentimes, be honest with you, I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes, it's an excuse to not face the truth about myself. That ain't Christianity is what I want to say. Christianity is not theory. Christianity is practice. And Christianity is the practice that rolls up the sleeves as Jesus did, and he gets them dirty. And sometimes, you know what? We got to get dirty in the problems of other people and in the mess of other people and in the weaknesses of other people because this is how God is going to make us mature. Specifically today, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to look at three common problems that every one of us faces. And if I took all the sins that we do and commit in this room, I bet you two-thirds of those sins will be covered by these three areas that we're going to talk about right now. And I'm going to show you about how the solution to every one of these three common sins is found in community and cannot be found in isolation. The first marker of an immature life is selfishness. And I want to say 100% of your sins are caused by selfishness. 100% of the sins that we do are caused by selfishness. Because the overwhelming characteristic that came from Adam and Eve and their fall in the garden was that man and woman became selfish creatures. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God told them, don't touch this. They said, we want this. Sin began with selfishness. And ever since then, every fight you've ever had with any human being on this planet, the root is selfishness. Every disagreement between a husband and a wife, between a brother and a sister, every rubbing the wrong way, the root of it is selfishness. James tells us this in James chapter four, verse one and two. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war. You say, I'm not a selfish person. Look, I never met one person who says, I'm selfish. Everyone thinks they're not selfish. That's what makes them selfish. (laughs) But I'm telling you that we got stuff inside of us that naturally tends towards me, me, me. Give you a funny example. No matter how in love a couple is when they get married, no matter how cloud nine a couple is on their wedding day and their honeymoon, selfishness, always creeps into any marriage. Always, even for the best of them. The five stages, read this online. The five stages of a marriage cold. A cold. One person has a cold. Year one, we're going to go, we're going to make it the man to the woman and then we'll flip it and do the, something funny for the women. The five stages of a marriage cold. Year one, when she has a cold, the man says, baby, I'm worried about those sniffles. You don't sound right. I think that we should take the day off and I'm taking the day off and let's take the week off and we're going to rest and get you vitamin C and if those sniffles don't clear up by the end of the week, I'm going to call 911 myself, baby, and drive you over there. (laughs) That's year one. Year two. Sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. Maybe I should call the doctor to come over for a house visit to check you out. Year three, you look like you got a fever. Why don't you pick up some Tylenol after work on your way home? Year four, be sensible, sweetie. After you've fed and bathed the kids and cooked dinner and cleaned up the kitchen, you really should get to sleep early tonight. And year five, do you have to cough so loud I can't hear the TV? <laughs> Selfishness creeps in in all relationships. And I'll give you one just so the men don't think I'm jumping on the men. One for the ladies. One guy wrote this. He said, in the first year of marriage, it was my wife who brought me slippers and my dog who barked at me. That was in the first year. He said, things have changed since. (laughs) It happens in all relationships. All relationships, even the best of them, selfishness creeps in because this is some disease that's inside of us that will never go away as long as we're here on this earth. So my question to you is, what do we do about it? Who's selfish here? Every one of us is selfish here. Who has selfish tendencies? Every one of us. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to sit at home and pray about it to end? When we're sitting and read our Bible, selfishness cannot be overcome in isolation. Like the whole point of selfishness is that it only cares about myself. And there's no switch that I can turn it off. There's no verse that I can memorize to get it to go away. So what is the only way that I'm going to get rid of this selfishness? Is I need to practice selflessness. Like with every one of these three, we're not just going to focus on the negative. We're going to focus on the positive. Of not what we should stop, but what we should start. We need to practice selflessness especially in our society today, which is more selfish than it's ever been. Because everything out there in those doors, everything that you see, everything you hear, tells you care only about yourself, do what makes you happy, obey your thirst, have it your way, whatever it may be. It's all about me. And to be honest, that's immaturity. Right, parents? Isn't that an immature child? Is the one who doesn't care about his sister, doesn't care about his parents, just cares about himself? That's immaturity. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. And the only way we're going to get rid of it The only way we're going to realize that we're not the center of the universe, and it's not all about me, is we got to get out there amongst others, and we have to deal with others and practice selflessness, which cannot be practiced in your basement. St. Paul says this. Watch this. I'm going to give you this verse right now, and I'm telling you. You want advice for any relationship in life. Take this advice, any relationship. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. I promise you with all my heart, if you are struggling in any relationship in life, at home, at work, at church, wherever, you take Philippians two, three, and four, and you practice, and you memorize this, and you recite this, and you practice this, I guarantee you it'll change the relationship. I guarantee you. I've seen the coldest, coldest hearts transformed by selfless. Relation, selfish, selfless relation. Because you know what happens in the context of most relationships? You got selfish plus selfish, and you got two people and selfishness. What happens when I come selfless? That person doesn't know how to respond. You melt their selfishness by your selflessness. How do we do this practically? A lot of why I like this, this verse in particular, because a lot of times our view of selfless is. I'm the lowest, and I'm the worst, and I am, you know, at the bottom of the barrel. Look, if you can convince yourself you're at the bottom of the barrel, you're a better man than me. I have a tough time convincing myself of that for obvious reasons. (laughs) But you know what I can convince myself of? Not that I'm the bottom of the barrel, but that if me and you are in this room together, you're higher than me. And maybe the both of us are above everyone, that's fine. But right now, in this context, you're higher than me. And then me and you can go out for lunch today, Your needs are more important than my needs. And that I'm in work tomorrow with you, my coworker, I care about your success more than my success. And I'm at home with my wife, and I want her needs, not my needs. Esteem others better than yourself. Don't try to be the worst. Don't try to be the worst. Just try to put the person above you one step up. And let it be about what makes them comfortable, not what makes me comfortable. Let it be about what they need, not what I need. Let it be about what their weakness is and how I can help, not my weakness and how they need to help me. That's what Jesus taught us. Didn't Jesus teach us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? This is our calling as Christians. You can't do this in isolation. (laughs) If our calling is to be selfless people, everyone agreed we're to be selfless. You cannot do this in isolation. You cannot do this if I just go to church and come home and I just pray and not deal with people. That's an excuse to be as selfish as you want to be and to say, you know what? I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change where, how I want to do my life. The idea of I have no dealings with others is a far cry from the biblical command to fellowship that we see so clearly in the scriptures. Number one, problem Selfish, solution is selfless. Number two problem that I think you'll agree with me, that we all struggle with, is pride. There a person here who doesn't deal with pride? Anyone here who doesn't deal, like it's it's a catch 22, because if you say yes, then you proud. I said selfishness was the characteristic that came out of the fall. If selfishness was the result of the fall, pride was the cause of the fall. And especially if you go back even further when you talk about Lucifer who was up in heaven as an angel. And he fell. Why? Through his pride of wanting to be more than he was. Here's the problem with pride. Here's the problem with pride. Pride, everyone else can see it except you. That's the problem with pride. Like, if I'm selfish, I probably know I'm selfish, but I excuse it. I just make, I I, I put the wool over my eyes. But pride, I can't see it. Pride is the blind spot. It's the, it's the mustard stain right here that everyone else can see Or when my zipper's down and no, I, everyone sees it except me. It's, everyone can see. It's my blind spot except the person who's struggling with it. That's why King Solomon in Proverbs 16 said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Since it's hard for us to see our pride, let me give you some of the symptoms which may indicate there's pride inside. You're proud if you never say sorry. When was the last time you said sorry? When was the last time, if you're married, when was the last time you said sorry to your spouse? When was the last time you said sorry to your children, if you're a parent? When was the last time you said sorry to your friends? You tell me you never made a mistake? You tell me it was always their fault? When was the last time you said sorry? When was the last time that you asked for advice and didn't give advice? We're very good at giving advice because we got it all figured out. When was the last time you asked for advice? When was the last time that instead of criticizing, you sympathized? When was the last time you made an excuse? I'll give you the one that you don't really realize is pride. You know what one of the number one characteristics of pride or symptoms of pride? Is when we're overly sensitive. Overly sensitive at its root is pride. Pride easily offended at its root is pride because what it says is no one can touch me how dare that person if you're the kind of person who gets offended all the time and you're very sensitive to the point that no one can get close to you it's always they messed up somehow then maybe it's not always them maybe there's a pride issue going on inside if pride is your problem the solution is only one thing solution is i need to learn humility i need to learn humility and again Humility is is one of these misunderstood uh, characteristics or concepts in Christianity, which is this, I'm this worst, this self-deprecating, that I'm the scum of the earth. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Because Christ was the most humble and Christ was not funny like that. Humility requires relationships. And it's all about how you deal with others. It's not necessarily about how you say these things about yourself. Look what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. See how he connects it? He's talking about relationships. And he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Two things I learned from this verse. First thing I learned is that humility is like a coat I put on. Humility is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's every day I go into my closet and I say the humble coat. I put on, and I walk into my office and here's my jerk boss. And I say, you know what? I'm putting on the humble coat with my jerk boss. And I'm driving down 495, and I'm rushing, and I'm late, and the jerk guy cuts me off. I'm putting on the humble coat. It's an action that I do. It's something that I mentally acknowledge and say I will put on humility. And the manifestation of it, as you see right here, is in relationship to one another. He says the way you know you put it on is when you younger people, you submit to your elders. And in fact, not just young to the elder, but all of you submit to one another and true humility, that I ain't the king of the world, that I ain't the most important person in the world, but I lift others higher than myself. Again, this cannot happen in isolation. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I bet you at one point in your time, every single person in this room prayed for humility. Whether you meant it or didn't mean it, you prayed for it. You heard a sermon you thought you were supposed to, so you prayed for it. I guarantee you that when you pray for humility, God will send you opportunities to be and practice humbled. But those opportunities are not in a, yes, now I'm humbled. You know what the opportunities are gonna be? It's gonna be your coworker coming at you. It's gonna be your wife coming at you. It's gonna be your boss. It's gonna be your friend. You know what it is for me? It's Costco. It's Costco. Because I pray, God, make me humble, and then I get there, and and then the lines are 10,000 miles, and I don't know where anything is, and I I can't squeeze my little cart through the thing, and why don't you take credit cards? I don't know. (laughs) You pray for humility. God will send you, forgive the expression, annoying people so that you can practice it. How are you going to be humble if everyone is, yes, Father Anthony, you're the greatest. (laughs) Practice humility in that. Let me show you a practical way to do this humility thing. And I'll tell you something. that If, if, if I'm going to say this and I'm telling you me number one, as soon as I say this, I'm judging myself. And I'm judging myself as having pride in here because I do not want to do what I'm about to say that you should do. And I'm telling you in advance. But this is a characteristic to know if you struggle with pride. Go to a friend. Go to a life group member if you're in a life group, go to one of your circle of friends and say, will you help me, guide me, mentor me, hold me accountable? Whatever, use whatever expression that you want. Can I count on you? to help me? See, that's a far cry from what we usually do. Because what do we usually do? We go to our life group meeting and then we go around and the goal is to get all the right answers on the questions. Here come the questions. I'm going to give all the right answers. Everyone's going to see that I have my life most intact and my life is the most perfect and nothing is weak in here. And I'm coming to tell you how you can be better in your spiritual life. You want humility? Go to somebody and say, help me. Mentor me. Let me ask your advice. Maybe that's too big a commitment. Maybe you don't, you're not ready to make that commitment. Say, hey, can we grab coffee one time? I want to ask your advice about something. Can you do that? If you can't do that, there might be a pride issue. Because that's where humility is. First problem humanity faces selfishness. We combat that with selflessness. Second is pride. We fight it with humility. Third, and probably the most dangerous, if left untreated. As resentment. Resentment is my nice way of saying unforgiveness. There is no such thing. I always tell this to married couples before they get married. There's no such thing as a relationship with no mistakes. The number one characteristic that's going to define if you're married, whether you make it, or if you're a friendship and you make it, is not your love for each other. It's your ability to forgive one another. Because I'm gonna mess up and my wife's gonna mess up. And no matter how much I love her, she love me, she's gonna mess up, and I'm gonna mess up. And the, the characteristic that's going to be determining whether we make it is our ability to forgive one another. Because I mess up and you mess up. Kids mess up, brothers, your brother's gonna mess up, your sister's gonna mess up, your parents are gonna mess up, the Pope is gonna mess up, Michael Jordan's gonna mess up, like you name it. Take it to the highest level. Everyone messes up because we're all sinners and we all need forgiveness at some point in time. Job chapter 5 verse 2 says if you are not willing to forgive, forgive. Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Now, I'm going to cut to the I'm going to jump to the end of this conversation here cuz I know what is going on in people's head when I say forgiveness. Inside people's heads When I say you need to forgive, you need to forgive, you need to let go, you need to let go. You cannot just isolate yourself and say, you know what? I don't have any dealing. I don't deal with anyone. I want to deal with these people. I can't forgive them. I'm gonna jump to the end of it. What you're saying in your head is what they did is wrong. What they did is wrong. They did something bad and I have a right to be angry. And I say, you know what? You 100% have a right to be angry, but you do not have a right to be unforgiving. Anger, no problem. Sometimes, like sometimes anger is bad, okay? But sometimes anger is justified. If you come into my house, you hurt my wife and my kids, I'll be very angry with you. Anger, even Jesus got angry. Anger can be justified, but unforgiveness can never be justified. Bitterness, resentment, grudge, these are all expressions mean the same thing. It means that I refuse to forgive someone for what they did. And why is it always wrong? Because Jesus connected our forgiveness with our willingness to forgive others. Actually, in fact, Jesus didn't connect it, you connect it. I'm about to finish up here and say a short prayer. We're gonna conc- conclude that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer. And you, not me, not me, you are going to stand up and say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as We forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive me, Lord, for my lie, the same way I forgave my sister when she lied to me. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't forgive her. I hate her guts. I have her picture on my wall and I throw darts at it every day. And you are saying, forgive me the same way I forgive. Forgive my gossip the way I forgave someone who gossiped about me. Forgive my little white lie the same way I forgave that little white lie. And all you're doing is heaping condemnation on yourself. That's why we actually, just yesterday in the membership group, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. For those have been to the membership group, we talk about the Lord's Prayer every time we do it. And I get to this part, and I tell people the same thing I'll tell you right now. Look, I talk about fasting. Listen to me in one ear, and not the other. That's fine. Prayer in one ear, not the other. Okay, that's not good, but okay, let it slide. Uh, put money in the money box. Very important to give. We'll talk about that. Later. Okay, that's fine. Look, we talk about Unforgiveness. There's no negotiation because even after the Lord gave the Lord's prayer, he expounded on only one phrase in that prayer. As soon as he gave that prayer in Matthew chapter six from verse nine to 13, verse 14, immediately after he gave it, he said, if you forgive men, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Look, when it comes to forgiving my sins, everything is on pause. Everything else is on hold. Nothing else matters. Don't tell me he he did she, don't tell me that. When I talk about everything we do in this life, it's so that I can stand in front of God and he can say your sins are forgiven. And if there's something that doesn't allow me to hear those words, you drop everything and you solve it. I need to learn forgiveness. I need to learn forgiveness. I will not learn forgiveness sitting in my basement throwing pictures at my sister with the dart, or throwing darts at the picture of my sister. I won't learn forgiveness. I won't learn forgiveness talking about my brother or my sister behind their back and telling the whole world how bad they are. I will learn forgiveness when I get out of myself. I humble myself. I go selfless, and I'm f- willing to go to that person and offer forgiveness when it's appropriate. Now, l- let me just caveat this and say, I gave a whole talk about forgiveness a couple months ago. One whole session, we talked about when do I need to go to the other person and when do I not go to the other person? When do I need to restore the relationship? And not, Those are all peripheral issues, which, yes, sometimes you should not restore the relationship, but you still forgive. Sometimes you should go to the person and say, I forgive you. Sometimes that is the worst thing you can do. All those things, we talk about that later. But I'm talking about forgiveness between here and here. I got to let it go. Because the defining characteristic of who Jesus was, what made Jesus different than every other human being on this planet. Every other religion, every other religious leader, everyone, everyone, everyone. No one did what Jesus did in Luke 3 23, 34. When he was up on that cross, did nothing wrong. Did nothing wrong. 100% innocent. And then people, this Bible says, it wagged. The tail, like wagged their mouth at him and wagged the tail at him, and 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 made fun of him. And 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 he said, Lord, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I always look at that verse. They say, You can tell what's inside a person when he's squeezed. Like, how do I know what's inside a lemon when I squeeze it? What's inside an orange when I squeeze it? When Jesus was squeezed, 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 squeezed to the uttermost, what came out? Like they squeezed him and he couldn't take it anymore and the pain and the ridicule and Father, forgive them because Jesus is forgiveness. And if we're Jesus followers, you squeeze us, it has to come out forgiveness. I tell people when they struggle with this, when Jesus connected my salvation, When Jesus connected my forgiveness with the forgiveness of others, he changed the rules because he said, simply put this, your sins and the sins of your those who sinned against you, they're tied together. And if you want, I will take those two and I will throw them, as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. I'll take them to the bottom of the ocean. Your sins I'll remember no more. I'll take those bad boys and throw those things away, but they're connected. But if you choose to hold on, you're only holding on to your own sins your enemy hurts you he hurts your body he hurts you emotionally but by you not forgiving you kill your soul and yesterday actually when we had this discussion someone shared and i was so touched i wanted to cry but i didn't think it was appropriate talked about how when they heard that talk a few months ago this person who had been holding on to a grudge for a long time went and said i need to forgive and this person forgave a very, very difficult situation, and they forgave, and this person said, I never felt better than after I forgave. They said, I used to talk about this person all the time, and I used to tell people about this person, and I made a decision to forgive, and they did what I asked them that person to do, and they did the model, and they forgave, and they said, I've never felt better in my life. Because when you choose to not forgive, when you choose to be resentful, when you choose to be bitter, what you are doing, imagine I have a shotgun right here and I wanna blast your head off because of what you did to me. But I say, you know what? I turn the shotgun around, I fire it this way in my face, hoping that the kickback may bruise you in the face. When I don't forgive, I'm killing myself in the hopes that I might bruise you. All you're doing is hurting your own self and killing yourself if you choose not to forgive. Practically how? Like I said, anyone who's struggling with this issue, I encourage you to go back. We did a series a few months ago called God's Ethics. And one of the sessions in there was specifically about this. And I talked for about 45 minutes, probably even a little bit longer, about how to do it practically. I don't have time to get into all that right now. I encourage you to go check that message out. But let me just show you one verse. What you should remember if you struggle with forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, the family of God, holy and beloved, put on, again, like the clothing idea, be clothed with, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Do you see that the picture of what it means to be the elect of God, holy and beloved, the picture is manifest in the context of community. How do I know if I'm elective God? I'm putting on kindness. I cannot be kind in the mirror. I'm putting on mercy. I cannot be merciful to myself. Well, I can be, but that's not the right way to be merciful. I'm not humble to myself, I'm humble with others. Bearing one, one another and forgiving one another. And remembering always that I need forgiveness. The day you say, God, I don't need any more forgiveness. I'm good. That's the day I say, okay, don't forgive anybody else. The day you're willing to say, you know what? Okay, um, you know, I'm 38 years old now. I figure I'll live this many number of years. I think I don't need any more forgiveness. I'll take my chances. Okay, that day, don't forgive anymore. The day you're willing to say, I'm willing to risk the rest of my life. I'm not gonna need any more forgiveness. Go ahead, man. But me, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna play the odds and say, you know what? I'm probably gonna mess up between now and, and the end of my life. And even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This is true spiritual maturity. This is a picture of maturity right here. Maturity with our children is the ability to delay gratification. Maturity spiritually, from God's perspective, is the ability not to live for today. I'm angry. I want to stick it to this person. Or this person is, I'm selfish. I want this right now. Or I think I'm the best. It's the ability to live for tomorrow and not live for today. One last verse. It shows you what the goal is. St. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, that we, how do I know when I'm done this spiritual maturity thing? That we may grow up, not grow old, grow up in all things into him who is the head, who is Christ. We continue to grow until the day we look in the mirror and we see Jesus Christ himself. When I look at my words, I put my words in the mirror, and I see the words of Christ. I put my thoughts, and I see the thoughts of Christ. I put my dealings with my neighbor, my enemy, my whoever, and I see the dealings of Christ. That's the goal. And that's what we will not stop. You may be older today in years, but just, again, with children, just because they're older in years certainly does not mean they're more mature. Right, parents? I know people still in their 30s and 40s, but they're acting at a maturity level of, of, of teenagers living the college years, the good, the good days. Same thing is true spiritually. Our goal is not to grow older spiritually. Our goal is to grow up spiritually, and we can only do that in the context of relationships. Say this. I'll leave you with this thought. Our goal is Christ. The method that we will use to get there is in community. The goal is Christ, the head, but the method to get there that he has designed is the body because God uses community to teach us to mature to get us to maturity. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this message that you gave to us, this gentle reminder before before the harsh one comes at one point in time. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have a plan for our lives, You, as the firstborn of all creation, have ordained it that we should be in your image and we should grow into your likeness. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to kind of overcome our pride and our selfishness and the bitterness that's inside of our hearts. These things that stop us, Lord, from from reaching your, your plan for us. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to put on humility, to put on selflessness, and to put on the forgiveness, the same one that you had on the cross and the same one that you give to all of us anytime we come asking for mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to mature and not just get older as the years go by, but to really grow up and be more mature in our relationship with you and our dealing with one another. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.